Hello, this is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in. I've got kind of a special episode for you today. I'm really excited about this one. I talked to Kat Bogard and Raj Chander. These two folks are members, longtime members of my team at Audience Ops. So I've been working with Kat and Rod for quite a while. I believe both of them were among the very first team members at Audience Ops. They've been on the team for over two years. And so I invited them on to uh, have a conversation about behind the scenes at my company, Audience Ops. I thought it was really interesting. Hopefully, you guys will get some insights, a, a window into some aspects of how things work behind the scenes, maybe things that I haven't really shared publicly before. So yeah, it was just really interesting. We talked all about the various roles on the team, what makes a really good team member at Audience Ops, like basically what we look for or type of person who has really worked out well and stayed with us a really long time. We talked uh, about the same thing when it comes to clients, you know, which clients tend to stick with us for the long haul and stay on board for a year, two years, whereas other ones, you know, may not stay that long. And we talked about how they get the most value from Audience Ops and really from Kat and Raj's perspective on how we're able to operate with different types of clients when we have such a focused productized service. So we talked all about building up our processes and then refining them over time and what that whole scenario looks like. So really just a lot of interesting uh, behind the scenes, inside baseball kind of stuff. Hopefully it won't bore you guys too much, but if you're interested in checking it out, here you go. Here's my conversation with Kat and Raj from Audience Ops. Enjoy. Okay, so here I am. I'm talking to Kat Bogard and Raj Chander. You know, I've been really excited about this episode for a while. I'm glad we got it on the books and we're doing it. So, you know, Kat and Raj have been good friends of mine and also teammates for the last couple of years in Audience Ops. And it's just exciting to bring them on since I believe, and Kat and Raj, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you two right now are the longest running teammates at Audience Ops. So it's just exciting. And we're going to talk all about you know, behind the scenes of audience ops and what you guys have been, you know, your roles in this. And we can just talk, you know, all about the team and our processes and clients. So yeah, Kat and Raj, welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Brian. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Cool. So, you know, we're going to get into your individual roles at Audience Ops, which I think for both of you have uh, have shifted quite a bit over your time. And I, I think both of you kind of have covered almost every part of like the different areas of Audience Ops, which is interesting. But, you know, for those who may not totally be in tune with Audience Ops and what it is and what we do here and everything, I thought we'd just kind of start off from a high level. Like, what do we do at Audience Ops? And you know, my description, of course, is we're a productized service that we do. We do a productized content marketing service for companies, and we basically run the blogs for our clients. We do everything from researching and planning topics to publishing their blog topics on a consistent schedule, usually every week or every two weeks. And we do everything else that goes along with that. So writing and sending out email newsletters, social media posts to promote the blog content. And then we also occasionally do well, not occasionally, I'd say more than half the time, we also create a lead magnet, like an email course, or sometimes an ebook. So a lot of the more detail goes into how we do those things. But that's essentially what we offer in the packages at Audience Ops. I mean, Kat and Raj, like, does that sound like pretty good description? Anything I missed there? Like how you would describe what Audience Ops does? I think that's a pretty good description. I think one other point of value that could potentially be added and this is something I'm sure Kat can expound on because I know she's been involved in a lot of this. But the, um, you know, coming up with ideas and, you know, like consistently learning our clients' industries and creating ongoing ideas for 
new content to talk about. I think that's really valuable, um, especially today with how crowded you know the space is. Yeah, Roger, that's a good point. Actually, you're right, because a lot of clients come to me saying like that's kind of their issue. Like They just don't know what topics they should be writing about. And even if they can take some time to brainstorm some ideas, like they don't want to have to do that as their job on an ongoing basis. And so just having it completely offloaded, not only the actual writing and production piece, but actually coming up with and researching and planning topics on an ongoing basis and having that whole piece done for them is definitely a, a key piece of the value proposition for sure. Yep. So, you know, again, like before we get into like your specific roles, you know, again, just talking about like what is audience ops, I think another key thing that I try to get across both to our clients and our team is that, you know, a lot of people may consider this to be like an agency. And in in many ways, it kind of is, you can call it a marketing agency or a content marketing agency. But I actually think of it as in some ways, like an anti agency or just very different from the typical agency model. And I think a lot of that comes down to how focused we are on doing the one thing that we do for all the clients and offering them basically the same packages of services with, you know, just very few options in between them, keeping a really streamlined and systemized process and having really well-defined roles on the team. Whereas when I think of a typical agency and my experience working at agencies has been, you know, they just kind of do everything and anything for all different types of clients. And it just adds a lot of overhead and a lot of extra just a lot, of, a lot of overhead, and a lot of extra work and a lot of extra time that's involved. And it can be very stressful at times when every single project is completely different. It can also be interesting too, but that's kind of how I think about like the difference between a typical agency and what Audience Ops does as a much more productized service. And, and then of course, there's a lot of differences in terms of like how we sell the service and how we explain it to new clients. But I'm curious about like your, you know, Kat and Raj, like your experiences working on your own as like freelance consultants and being involved in other agencies and things as as well as audience ops. Like, how do you think about how what we do at audience ops compares to like a typical marketing agency, if you will? I think that the focus that we have on, like you said, the one thing that we do best is something that really sets audience ops apart from other agencies in my mind. I think Having worked with other agencies and having, you know, witnessed clients working with those agencies, I think there is a lot of different things that you could be working with that agency on, whether it's a website or photography, or they kind of are, you know, jacks of all trade. And I think in some cases, it's nice to be able to get that really customized, personalized service to exactly what you're looking for. But I think at Audience Ops, we have the advantage of doing this one thing and doing it really well. So we've already done all of the groundwork and we know what works really well for content marketing and are really focused on that one thing. So I think we're able to kind of bring some knowledge and some expertise without all of that trial and error, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Roger, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, totally echo what Kat said. You know, I've always thought about it like there's two types of knowledge. Like you you have to know your business and you have to know the industry and you have to know you know, your customers, but then on the other hand, you also have to know content marketing. So I think what Kat was referring to was more of that second bucket where it's like, we really understand the process of getting that content marketing strategy and campaigns going to the point where, you know, we can lend that expertise to new clients. I think the other big thing that separates us from a lot of agencies is just, you know, the processes. And I know this is probably something we're going to get into later, but I don't know about you, Kat, but I've never seen an agency that has 
so many processes in a good way. I mean, it, it definitely is helpful for bringing new people on and onboarding and setting client expectations. But to me, like that's always been the biggest difference is just, you know, everything is a lot more uh, set out and outlined. Whereas, you know, like you were talking about, Brian, some other agencies are just, okay, well, client wants to pay us for this. Now let's figure out how to do it. You know? Right. Yeah, I liked how Kat put it where you, you said we've done a, a lot of the groundwork up front. And I think that's really true because a lot of agencies have a lot of really talented people on the teams that are available to work with clients. But there's always all of that groundwork when it comes to process, you know, like, okay, client wants a big new website with a bunch of content created for it. Now, somebody on the team, a project manager, someone has to start wrangling other people on the team, figuring out what their workloads are, which tools, which processes they're going to use for this big project, what's the timeline going to be, the strategy that they're going to take. And since we've basically developed and reworked and reworked many times over our processes and tools and scheduling, and, and we've basically have our defaults with all those things, that leaves us open to just focus on the content like coming up and we have a, a standard structure or not structure but like uh, length and package of content that we deliver but the actual words the actual things that we're teaching in the content is completely original from client to client and we can focus all of our time and energy on that having handled all the other groundwork that goes with it cool so why don't we get into a bit about our clients at audience ops right so by this point and you guys have both been on the team for i think over two years now which is crazy and audience ops has been around for like two and a half years something like that so some characteristics of the really great long-term clients for us we've got many of those and then of course we've got some clients who kind of stick with us for just a few months and still others who kind of come in and out you know repeatedly but you know, I think we've learned a lot about, uh, you know, working with, I'd say, like something like hundreds of clients at this point who've gone through, started, continued or finished or came back. Um, what is it about those clients who stick with us a long time and they have a really great experience and they're really successful working with us? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are, you know, there's a couple of things that I think are really important. One thing that I know we've talked about time and time again is that the clients who really are in it for the long haul and see the most value from what we offer are the ones who kind of have a basic understanding of at least the value and the importance of content marketing to begin with. They, you know, have a bit of a grasp of what content marketing is, how it matters to their business, and they don't have the expectation of hitting publish on a blog post and checking their analytics the next day and seeing that their traffic has quadrupled. They kind of understand that it's a piece of a longer term strategy. And it's something they really do kind of need to stick with in order to see the awesome results that you can achieve through content. I also think really successful clients are kind of able to strike that fine balance between having, you know, a vision and being able to kind of educate us through their kickoff calls and things like that about, you know, who their target customer is, what their business is, what their value proposition is, so that we can really get the information that we need to create relevant content, but at the same time, they aren't grabbing the reins so tightly that there's no flexibility for somebody to maybe approach a topic a different way than they would have originally. So there's kind of that, like I said, striking a balance between being able to give us the information we need to be successful, but not being so, I don't want to say micromanage-ish, but like so hands-on where they feel like they need to be in control of every aspect because ultimately the, our clients want to be hands off with their content. It's the whole point of a done for you service. And so I think the best clients we have are able to kind of set us up with the information we need and then really let us run with it. 
Yeah, totally. You know, I was just recently doing a series of interviews with some of our longtime clients for the new Audience Ops podcast, which I, I believe those episodes should be out by the time that this episode goes out. And yeah, like that's definitely one of the themes that kept coming up, you know, as I was talking to some of our longtime clients, like they've been able to really strike that balance between like really giving us what we need or just being open to not that it takes a ton of hours on their part, but just really being engaged very early on in those kickoff calls and, you know, reviewing the stuff that we send them, like the outlines and the drafts in a timely fashion, but then also coming back to us with some notes and really constructive edits. Like there's this balance between clients who are really engaged in that process and give us really useful notes. But there's the other extreme that we've seen where they're just completely checked out and they kind of sign up and expect everything to be done for them immediately from day one. And yeah, we are going to run and do like 90% of the work, but we really need their input and sometimes re-input as we get a better, better understanding, you know, into month one and month two. And actually talking to some of those really long-term clients, some of them even said that like the first month or two, they didn't actually feel like we hit the mark exactly, but they knew that it just required a little bit more input to really clarify and even for themselves to figure out what they like and what they don't like after seeing some stuff. And then they fall into a really good groove after that and stick with it a long time. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And I mean, I understand it. It's hard to kind of, you know, let something like that go and let somebody take over an aspect of your business when you've poured so much blood, sweat and tears into it yourself. But I do think it's important to understand that while we're excellent at research and topic generation and all of that stuff, we don't have the knowledge of your business that you do having, you know, run it yourself all of this time. So the clients who can really empower us with the information and the feedback we need, ultimately, those are the ones where we can run like a well-oiled machine after just a few blog posts. Yeah. In a minute, we'll talk more about kind of our processes and everything. But one thing that we've worked really heavily on is that onboarding phase, like the first four weeks of, of a client's experience with us, specifically around like, you know, having the, a certain type of interview with a certain type of questions and some follow-up work to make sure that we're getting as useful information out of the client as we can. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you guys pretty much covered everything that goes into it. I, I would just, you know, again, kind of echo what Kat said about striking that that fine balance. I mean, you know, from my personal experiences, most of the clients that haven't worked out, like, you know, their their expectations have just been a little bit misaligned with the actual service that we offer in terms of, you know, wanting something really custom or expecting things to be a lot different. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would say it's just finding that client that sits right in that ideal of they're okay letting go and trusting us, but, you know, like you guys are saying, they can still give us the information we need. Yeah, you know, like that's something that, um, again, this goes back to like being a productized service versus a general do-everything agency. I think part of the benefit of being such a focused productized service is that we can be completely upfront about what we do. I mean, literally right on the homepage of the website and all the sales materials and everything that the client sees before they sign up. It's so specific. And again, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you know, from what you read on the website to what they're seeing in the in the demo video to even right after they sign up, this is something new now. Now they see another video about like, okay, here's exactly what you can expect in the next week or two. And we really just try to nail down those expectations as much as possible. So, you know, like one thing that's kind of come up over the last I'd say year or so is I started to 
kind of experiment for brief periods in terms of like launching new add-on services. Like for a little while, we we offered like pay-per-click management, um, kind of an, an audience ops express model where we would do everything except for the actual writing. For a while, we were doing this hub and spoke content strategy. We kind of do that sometimes on a request basis, but it's uh, it just added a little bit more complexity and didn't necessarily fit with every client. And kind of the conclusion that I've come to more recently is, you know, stop trying to reinvent the wheel here, revert back to the just the simpler standard packages that we've offered since day one and, you know, removing a lot of that extra bloat. It's like every time I try to add something interesting or something new to the service, like what's included in the service, it just tends to add a lot more bloat where we can't exactly adapt as quickly as maybe an agency can. We do have, you know, that advantage of having these processes really nailed down and, and keeping it simple. You guys have any like thoughts on like how we uh, transitioned into some of those things and then like moved back out of them? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I have always been heavily involved in a lot of those things because I'm, you know, responsible for keeping our processes updated and things like that. So anytime we've decided to do something different that involves, you know, like you were saying, a lot of work on the back end to make sure that our team is up to speed and able to turn that around in the way that we had envisioned it. Um, I always think it's great to try things because you'll never know if something works really well for you or doesn't work for you at all. If you don't give it a try. But I'm also a firm believer in that I would rather do one thing really well than do a bunch of things like totally half-assed. <laughs> so I think, you know, it ultimately makes sense that we always kind of find ourselves coming back to our bread and butter of, you know, the blog posts and the lead magnets. Cause like you said, audience ops has been doing that for about two and a half years now, and we do it really well. We have the production processes all ironed out that we really do kind of operate like a well-oiled machine and we're able to turn out really high quality content with all of the extras in a way that makes sense for our entire team. So I think it's, I mean, another one of those fine balances. You're always going to keep trying new things because like I said, you never know until you try, but I think we'll always kind of keep our core focus on that bread and butter. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, I, I probably should have started with this earlier in the interview, but like, let's talk about our team and, and I mean, your specific roles, Kat and, and Raj. So why don't we start with like defining all the roles on the team? And then we could talk about how each of you have kind of gone through almost almost all of those roles. So, you know, the way that I look at it is we've got project managers, we've got writers, we've got editors, we've got assistants, and there is a team manager role, which is today, that's Kat. And also among those assistants, we've got a small team right now of three assistants. And one of them, Alan, kind of has this dual role of being our technical assistant. So that's kind of how I see the main roles breaking out, like managers, writers, editors, assistants, essentially. And each of those people on the team kind of plug in. And the idea being that writers only really have to focus on writing and researching topics that they're going to write about. Editors, you know, separate people, they only need to focus on copy editing and improving the writer's finished product. Um, assistants handle the setup work of taking an article from Google Docs, setting it up in WordPress, optimizing, you know, formatting, scheduling, setting up the email newsletter, 
again, the writer writes the newsletter, but the assistant sets it up in Drip or MailChimp or whatever. Social media, they're queuing those up. And then the managers, they're handling the client communication and you know, relaying between the writers and the editors and assistants. So that internal communication. So again, we're like separating that from, so the writers don't have to deal with client communication too much. And, you know, same with the editors and assistants. So that's been the idea is to kind of like separate these roles out and make it really, really efficient. And so Kat, I believe you started originally as a writer, if I remember correctly, and then you went into project management. I interviewed originally for a writer role, but I joined the team straight off the bat as the first and only project manager. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And then today you're not officially like the client facing managers, but you've become kind of the team manager as we call it, like the internal manager, right? Right. Yeah. So I started as a project manager. I've also done some writing work. I have done and still do some editing work. And then today the majority of my time is dedicated to the team manager role, which really just involves overseeing our entire team and making sure things are running smoothly, put simply. Um, There's kind of a lot of different things that go into that, but um, some of my core responsibilities are really mainly focused on both our managers. So kind of overseeing the communication that they're having with clients, helping them, you know, get through tricky issues or make sure things are running on schedule or anything like that. And then also working with our writers as sort of a partner in the content that they create. So I personally review every single content calendar that we create, provide feedback on topics. I do regular calls with sets of writers to kind of bounce some ideas around and things like that. So I really think of the team manager role as part maintaining the operations side of the business. So making sure that processes are updated accordingly and that every single member of the team is kind of up to speed on how things are working and if there are any changes they need to be aware of. And then, you know, the other part of that is really just acting as a resource toward our team, which I think was something that we kind of were missing when I was in a project management role. And so now I really like to view myself as that go-to resource if they need help with an article, if they have a vacation coming up and want to plan ahead or really anything that they might need that um, they can come to me with. Yeah. And, you know, as a fully remote team, it really helps to have you in that position, right? Because especially with that writer support role, because it kind of gets, I mean, yeah, we have a team Slack channel and everyone kind of, you know, hangs out and chats in there on a daily basis. But you're right, for a while there, like in the first year or two of audience ops, the writers would kind of just be in their own silo writing and submitting drafts and everything. And there, there isn't that extra, you know, gel of ideas from writer to writer or with, you know, a a third party like you coming in to, and you're a writer by trade as well. So, you know, you have that experience to help out with. I think that along with having this mixture of different roles all working together, that's where it becomes a different outcome and a whole different experience, you know, working with audience ops versus hiring like a solo freelancer or hiring one person in-house at your company. You know, it comes with this like unique benefit of of having a team that's not just putting more heads at the problem, but those heads are actually working together on stuff. Yeah. And those writer calls have been, you know, that I host regularly with sets of writers have been so beneficial. And I would say it's where some of, you know, our best ideas come from, whether that's related to actual content for clients, because sometimes two brains are better than one. And when you have two or three writers thinking about a topic refresh for a client for their new content calendar, you come up with some really targeted, relevant, awesome ideas. And it's also great just to connect with the writers and even come up with if they have any 
feedback or suggestions or questions on sort of the back end of audience ops, if there's a bottleneck in a process or a place where they keep getting stuck or confused. So it's really just a good opportunity to both make things better for our clients, but make things better for ourselves as well. Yeah. Very cool. So Raj, if I remember correctly, I think you were the very first person to join audience ops. And I think you remind us of that pretty regularly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm still waiting for my plaque. I don't know if I got lost in the panel or what. I know we we got to work on that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Raj, I, th- I think it was like you plus like two other people who came on as like the very first writers, I believe, for Audience Ops. Was that right? Yeah, I think it was like me and then Devin and then Kat, I believe. I think that was the first three. I'm not sure. I feel like it might have been Joe. Joe might have been in there too. I think, and I honestly want to say, now I'm going to make myself sound like a total newbie to the Audience Ops scenes, but I want to say that Joe and Ryan were both there when I got there. Oh, yeah, okay. I think so that's Ryan's right. been around a long time too. Yep. So Ryan is one of our, today we have three assistants in the Philippines. And and so actually just in terms of location. So the three assistants are in the Philippines. All of the writers are in various parts of the United States. All the editors are in the U.S. All the managers are in the U.S. except for one of our new managers is in Canada. And yeah, so Raj, I think you joined initially as a writer and you were a writer for us for a while there. And then uh, where did your role go from there? Yeah, I think I have done almost everything here at Audience Ops. Um, I started as a writer, and then for a while I was kind of managing when we were still pretty small. I think only had like five or seven clients. I was kind of managing like the internal production. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that like before Cap came on, like I was still kind of like the client-facing person. But then, yeah, Raj, you kind of took over like what the managers do on the internal side for a little while. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I, I did that for a while and then I started also doing some editing which is what I still do now that's my um, only role right now and I also got to spend some time I think it was like probably like most of 2016 right Brian I think I was doing sales for audience ops which was a really cool and unique experience as well and I'm glad I got to do that because it, it was really fun to see it both from you know the internal side of what goes on and how things are processed but also like you know, talking to prospects and, and actually like hearing people and, and seeing what they would say and, and just learning what people are asking about content marketing as a whole was pretty cool. Yeah, totally. I, I think a good part of 2016, you were doing sales. And yeah, I think right now you're the only person on the team who was ever really involved in that side of it, like the pre customer, like talking to prospects and that whole process. And you and I worked directly on that for a while. And I think that worked out really well. And and I think you did a really great job during that period. What ultimately ended up happening was I, I ended up putting myself back into the sales role, mainly just because of allocating resources in different ways and starting to make investments in other products and things and trying to keep audience ops really lean. But it was actually really, really helpful throughout that time because it allowed me to focus on building up all sorts of new sales systems and processes that we didn't have before when it was just me. Um, You know, I was just kind of like winging it because I was the only person. I didn't really need to have sales systems and processes. But then once you were on board, you know, we were able to rework the sales demo several times and the whole process of communicating and following up with prospects. So that was good. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, from personal standpoint, it also helped me with, um, you know, my own selling and communication skills and stuff. Because, I mean, you know, there was definitely 
I mean, we talked a lot about like common questions and we did some, you know, you and I did some like trial runs, but once all that stuff was over, then it was just kind of like you go through the presentation and it's just you and them. So you kind of got to, you know, learn what people are going to say. And, you know, you, you did get some, some pretty repetitive questions, but, you know, it was, it was good to learn how to kind of think on your feet and answer stuff that people are asking and how to respond to common inquiries and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing on the sales front is, um, again, comes back to the whole productized service thing versus an agency. Since we're so focused and since we put out so much specific information about what's included right there on the website before they even request that sales call, it's always interesting to me how like the same questions start to come up again and again, you know, and you can really start to kind of optimize the responses and like the scripts, if you will, because we've heard the same question, you know, hundreds of times. So. So still just talking about the team here, as I said, like right now, I think we have something like 20 people on the team. Many of us, like you guys, have been around for a long time in audience ops, you know, over a year or so. And that's been really great to see like kind of like the same faces just really grow within in the team and just become like a really tight-knit team. And then just recently, we brought on a whole batch of new people who I think have started to really settle in and learn our processes. And I think it's actually brought the whole team size to a different place, which makes for kind of a new challenge in terms of processes. But you know, I wanted to ask you guys about the people, right? Because clearly working at Audience Ops is not for everyone, right? And we've seen, you know, some people kind of came into the team and, and had to leave, whether it was by their choice or, you know, I've had to let a few people go fairly quickly because things didn't work out. But I would say for the majority of people who've joined, they've stayed for the long haul. You know, working at Audience Ops is not for everyone. So what type of person or what type of things would a person kind of be looking for to make them a really good fit for Audience Ops, do you guys think? <laughs> sure. We're both like, ooh. Um, I think there are a couple of different things that probably come into play here. I think similarly, like um, what we were talking about with kind of clients being committed to the process, I think the same thing could kind of be said for our team members. Obviously, the ones who stick around for a long time are the ones who join not just because they're looking for a one-off assignment or a way to make a few quick bucks. Like they're really, um, you know, interested in joining the team and helping to grow the business and really being a part of something that's, you know, bigger than just themselves. I think that's been a huge asset to me because I make my living as a freelancer. I'm here in my home office in my sweatpants with my dog all day. So I think like one of the things I've enjoyed the most is having a team. I mean, we're always talking in Slack, we're sharing photos from vacations, big things have happened while I've been on the team, people have gotten married, people have had babies. And so I think really, the ones who stick around are the ones who are really looking for more of a team environment, as opposed to just another like freelance project that they can kind of take on for themselves and run with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like the majority of our team are basically freelance contractors, but I tend to think of them more more as like part-time employees. I know we get into like technicalities of, you know, how the government treat, <laughs> treats things, but um, and, and we've gone a little bit back and forth. We've had a few people who have ramped up to like full-time status, mostly the writers who probably spend the most hours-wise on stuff at Audience Ops, but then 
you know, between the managers and editors and assistants, for the most part, it's like a part-time 10 to 20 hour a week, but a really ongoing, consistent, steady schedule and a lot of like day-to-day stuff, but it's not like your entire day. You know, most people on the team, like you guys, are balancing other stuff, other commitments, other like you're running your own businesses, working on different projects with kind of like a steady batch of hours every week working on audience op stuff. And that's not for everyone, right? Like some consultants like to be, you know, consultants and really just jump from one thing to another pretty regularly. Um, But what I found, you know, talking to the team who've stuck with us a long time is like they really appreciate that having audience ops there is kind of like a steady rock and then still having that freedom to go do other things. Yeah, definitely. And I think one other thing just to add on to what Pat said, and this probably applies to any type of remote team or, or remote worker, but... I think working together as a team and communicating and those kind of fall under the umbrella of just, you know, like understanding that you have some accountability. You know, I think it's the type of work that we do or our, as Kat put it, you know, in our sweatpants with our dogs. (laughs) It's not like, you know, there's a, a boss down the hall and, you know, I'm not waiting for like Brian to like open the door and be like, hey, Raj, like, why isn't this done? You know, like it's easy to. (laughs) That would be hilarious though. (laughs) pretty interesting though i'd have to say but you know there's no like axe over your head or or really you know like permanent presence like physical presence there to kind of spur you on so i i think especially when people get really busy or or people get overloaded the tendency is to just kind of like shirk away from it and you know not own up to it and and not kind of like do the hard stuff of communicating because again there's like nobody there you know the consequences aren't like directly immediate you know they don't happen right away so i think from what i've seen personally you know in in my time here the people that have struggled or maybe haven't lasted much at audience ops are the people that kind of aren't able to process that whereas you know people that have been around a while are very good at saying you know even if there's a problem or something goes wrong or you know, they're late on something, you know, they're very open about it. They're very good at communicating. And above all, it's just understanding that you're part of a team and people are relying on you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's an important point to make, because I know I said, you know, ultimately, the people who are successful here are the ones who are looking for that sort of team atmosphere and team environment, which there are a lot of positives that come with that, particularly when you, you know, work by yourself or for yourself. But I think the people who are successful also recognize that, like Raj is saying, there's a responsibility that comes with that. Like with any of my other work, if I miss a deadline or I, you know, screw something up, ultimately I might have a client who's mad, but that ultimately only impacts me. I'll lose a client or lose a paycheck or something like that. But when you join a team, like at Audience Ops, understanding that your work is just a piece in a bigger puzzle and that if you drop the ball on something or miss something that not only impacts you and the business, but it also impacts the other people on the team. Because if a writer is late with the draft, now the editor can't edit by their deadline and they're adjusting their workload in order to squeeze that into their schedule. So really people who want to join a team atmosphere, both for the positives, but also have that understanding of the fact that they do need to take accountability and they are going to be part of something that's bigger than just them. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I also think Raj hit on the key word there, which was communication, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
and Kat, you know, you've been in, you know, pretty heavily involved in the hiring process too, for bringing on like new writers and new managers and, and everyone. So, and like sifting through the hundreds of applications that we get. And, you know, you've been doing some interviews with folks and things. So one of the things that I tend to look for, and this goes across the board, no matter whether I'm hiring for a writer or like a software developer or anyone, you know, you're always going to filter out the crop of applicants by like, you need to make sure that they meet the basic skill set that we're looking for. So we'll, you know, we'll basically look for like the top 10%, like the best writers or the best developer or the best manager or whoever we think that top 10 skill set is. And then out of that group, whoever's communicating the best always goes right to the top of the list for me. I mean, and that comes down to, I think a lot of it is, it's like answering questions and making sure that every single question gets touched on and and listed out and answered, but maybe even more so like asking the right questions and being really curious, but also like, I can't do my job unless I get a clear understanding of what is needed for me. Like the best people at Audience Ops are like hungry for that information to empower them to go do a really great job. And then once they come into the team and they get into our processes and our systems, yeah, like that ability to you know, go the extra mile to communicate on Slack or over email or in a Trello card or something, you know, because acknowledging that we're all remote, we're all working from different places, we don't have the luxury of talking across the office or in the hallway. So we kind of have to go above and beyond in that like written communication and Slack communication and stuff. Absolutely. So um, I guess let's kind of jump in a little bit to process. You know, we talked about Systems and processes, obviously, you know, we're really, really heavy, heavy on, on systems and processes and procedures, documentation and everything. What do you guys think have been like your impressions of the systems and processes here compared to most of your other work or projects that you've been a part of? And, you know, I think you both actually have seen the processes really evolve quite a bit from the very beginning too. any thoughts on how that's kind of, you know, played out? Yeah. I mean, I'll admit when I first joined the audience apps team, I was equally impressed because it's not often that you, you know, join a new team or take on a new client where they're as highly organized and systemized as what audience ops is. But I will admit that there was a part of that that was a little overwhelming too, because there are so many processes for everything that we do. And when you're just kind of coming into something like that. And I mean, I came in as the first project manager. So I felt kind of this heavy responsibility to like understand everything as best as I could in order to communicate with clients effectively. So at this point, I think our processes are one of our biggest advantages. They make onboarding new team members easier. They make communicating with clients easier. They make everything just far more streamlined. But probably if I was being honest about first impressions, there was a little bit of me that was like, Whoa, so many processes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think it definitely makes training and onboarding probably a a bigger, you know, hurdle to get over for most people than it typically is. Yeah, I think it's kind of twofold though, because I think it might feel overwhelming when you're looking at all the different processes that are there. But then I know, you know, particularly people who come into roles like our project managers get a great amount of reassurance from being able to reference back to a document or a procedure and just kind of follow it through step by step and know that they're doing it the right way without having to constantly ask somebody like me or Brian, like what comes next. So like I said, it can be a little overwhelming when you just look at the long list of them, but they really do serve a great purpose for our team. Yeah. And we've tried to add layers where it's like, you know, we try to pull together all the key pieces of a process into like one master list. And like, you know, as they're onboarding, like now, 
that we've really grown the management team like now the managers have kind of like like a training course if you will that they go through and cat you put together like a guidelines document like a quick reference thing so like i guess we are like adding even more bloat <laughs> to the stuff but you know the hopefully the goal is to try to guide people in a way that's easy at the end of the day having all this process is my goal has always just been like, how can I make people's jobs as easy as possible so they don't have to think about like, how am I doing this? And they can just focus on how can I make this interesting or really quality content? Yeah. And really all I've heard about our systems and processes is really that kind of once you make it through one sort of production cycle of an article or something, everything really just falls into place. So people who have been on our team for any certain amount of time, it's not like they're need to follow that process, like a detailed checklist every time they do that repetitive task. It's really just more for the purpose of onboarding and getting people up to speed. Yeah. Raj, any thoughts on that? I was just going to say that me and Kat, I think, had the benefit of joining back when Audience Ops as a company was still pretty new. So I think, you know, just looking at it now, I would even be a little overwhelmed now at like (laughs) all the processes that we have. But I think Kat's right. Like initially you you look at it and you're like, oh man, like this is a lot, like all these different processes broken down into different categories. And then you have, you know, like Trello and Slack and like, there's a lot of stuff going on. So it's easy to get intimidated at first, but I think, you know, once you kind of settle in and dig into what everything is, then, you know, you kind of realize that as Brian said, the goal is to just you know, make everybody's job easy. And it's nice to have that resource there. For me, I'm the type of person, and I think we we have probably talked about this before with both of you, but like, I'm the type of person that I like to try to find the answer myself and just like get it and then do it. So, you know, it's nice to have that to like fall back on. Like, you know, when I was a project uh, manager, like digging through the different operations processes and going into the drive sheet, And, you know, I would always like furiously search through them because I'd be like, oh, gosh, I can't waste Kat's time with this question. So I got to get but it does help in that regard. Like you're able to answer a lot of the questions that you have yourself when there's that documented process that you can tell has been run a bunch of times and optimized before. Yeah, it's something that's been on my mind lately now that we're in this like third year of audience ops is that. I think it also may have come to a point where, you know, we kind of have too much in terms of systems and processes. And yeah, that you have the benefit of like things work in a really predictable way. But especially for new people and especially new managers, they tend to get hung up on like, okay, we have all these systems and processes. So I know that things are supposed to be done in a certain way. So they're constantly asking themselves, like, am I doing this in the right way? Whereas maybe if they had a little bit more freedom to just do things in a way that they see fit, you know, they would be able to move much faster. Of course, that can then lead to, uh, like Kat, you and I have built out some processes that basically solve problems that we've seen flare up in the past. So whereas like a new person on the team may not have that visibility of like, well, if we start down this road with a client in this way, that can lead to all sorts of problems down the road. And so a lot of the processes have been kind of built around that. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, I think it's great to have processes and procedures. And like you said before, we try to keep things as streamlined and predictable as possible, because that makes everything easier for our team and our clients. But there are still always going to be things that you can't necessarily plan for. It's just sort of the nature of the beast. So I mean, it's just kind of the way it goes that sometimes we do find ourselves needing to 
stray from what we had previously outlined in a process just to make something work. And that, you know, that just happens sometimes. Yeah. Another thing that I talk to a lot of people about, like outsiders and quote unquote outsiders, if you will, uh, about like how things work at audience ops. And, you know, the thing that I try to stress with a lot of people is that like we are constantly reworking our processes as we're learning new things or as the team changes or as the client list grows. Like everything that we have today certainly was not in place on day one. And it shouldn't have been because we didn't have the need for everything that we have today back then. And, you know, things work well enough for a while until things start to break down. And so over time, we've been able to identify areas where, you know, like I I remember early on, very early on, we were producing new articles in like a two-week span where it would go from like draft into editing, and then we send it to the client for their review, and then it's supposed to publish like the next day. And that was just way too much of a crunch. You know, the client didn't have time to get give us back edits before we published. So we kind of adjusted our schedule and made it like a four-week production process now. I know another one that we spent a lot of time on was the new client onboarding process. Because I think about a year or two, like a year and a half in, we had a bit of a churn, a cancellations issue where clients just had a really rough first month with us. And... Not that we necessarily did a bad job, but it just, you know, things were missed or things weren't communicated as clearly as possible or expectations weren't set. And that just led to kind of just frustrations of like being in the dark on the client's part. And then that led to looking for a reason to cancel, if you will. And so I remember we spent a lot of time really reworking our onboarding process for new clients. So I guess I, I just want to like bring it back to you guys a little bit. Like obviously you've covered a lot of roles inside audience ops, outside of audience ops, you guys are doing a lot of uh, writing and consulting and building up your own productized services and all sorts of other cool projects. So like, how do you guys think being a part of audience ops and continuing to be like, how has that helped you grow as a professional and your career and what you're looking ahead to? So I think for me, the biggest thing has been, and I, I should also point out, you know, as I, told you when, when I first came on board Audience Ops and, and, you know, when we were emailing back and forth just now, um, I knew of you and, and your stuff, Brian, on your uh, Cast Jam blog. And I had heard you on another podcast before, even like before I started with Audience Ops. So I was familiar with who you were and the whole productized thing. So it was cool to see both sides of it. Like, you know, reading your blog and seeing the stuff that you say about creating productized service and, you know, sticking to one outcome, one ideal client. But then also on the other side, like being a part of audience ops and seeing that in practice was really, and, and still is, I should say, um, really valuable for me. And it's been a great, you know, kind of learn by example and, and learn by doing, I should say, type of experience. And definitely one that, you know, I've tried to incorporate in my own business, which obviously is a lot smaller than audience ops. But, you know, I think it's, there's a lot of stuff that you can learn from a business that has a lot of, you know, well-oiled processes and well-refined processes. I mean, even if you're a very small or even like a one person business, you know, I think processes can still help you out. So I think for me, like that's been the biggest impact of that audience ops has had from a professional standpoint. And of course, as Kat said, hanging out with all you great people. Yeah, you know, it, it's always interesting to me. Like, I'm always just really fascinated with people's, how they progress through their career. And like, for me, like I started out working at a web design agency and I took some really great ideas from that into my self-employed career and into my businesses about you know, like managing projects and being in contact with clients. Like that's kind of a scary thing. But then 
I also took a lot of things of like what not to do <laughs> and just thinking about like the fires and the stresses that came up in that world. And then being a freelancer myself, trying to work in a more efficient way and, and then learning from that experience and, you know, into things like this. But, uh, you know, before we hop over to Kat, like Raj, like, what are you kind of focused on aside from, you know, your role at Audience Ops uh, this year, next year? Like, where do you see yourself kind of putting a lot of your energy? Yeah. So, you know, we've exchanged a couple of emails about some stuff that I've been working on. Essentially, I'm working on building out more of a, uh, I guess it's a, a productized service, but, you know, on a lot smaller of a scale than Audience Ops is. And, you know, I'd like to uh, incorporate some uh, paid advertising too. And, you know, just trying to identify certain areas in my existing client base that are a little bit repetitive that you know, I can kind of outsource and sort of step away from so that I can, you know, work on adding the most value with what I do best. So I, I would say that's my biggest focus. Hopefully by the time uh, this airs, I'll, I'll be deeper into it. But, you know, it's tough. It's okay. tough to get you know, time to, to work on your business when, when you're doing client stuff. And that that's, you know, since I'm talking about it, that's another cool thing that has been good to see you do, Brian, has like, you know, how you kind of balance working on the high level vision of the business versus the actual day to day stuff. And I think, you know, you've been somebody who I think has struck a good balance between like, you know, you still pay a good amount of attention to the day-to-day -day stuff when you need to. And like, you know, you'll jump in and, you know, help, but you also always have an eye to like what's next and, and the high level direction of the business. So I think for me, that's something that I'm trying to embody that principle more and just work on building out a service that I can kind of keep that focus and not do everything myself, so to speak. Yeah, you know, that is, um, for the listeners of this podcast, like, I know that that is just an ongoing struggle. And to be honest, it's still an ongoing struggle for me. And it's been that, like, every business that I've been in, there's always that transition. And that transition always takes years, not months. Whether it was uh, going from being a freelance web designer, project to project there, into, like, a SaaS, and then it was, you know, uh, building up this productized service, and now it's... Uh, transitioning into other like building out the ops calendar software which is coming out of audience ops you know it, it's still a struggle and you know i'm at that almost a year now and still just kind of getting off the ground in terms of being able to devote half my week or more to working on that marketing it developing it with the team and then of course working with you guys and managing the day-to-day -day stuff with audience ops there's just always that ongoing struggle between working in what you're doing today and working on like what's coming up next but uh, so Kat, over to you, like, what are you kind of focused on outside of audience ops? Where are things headed for you? Well, I guess I come at it from a different perspective than Raj, because Brian, I had no idea who you were <laughs> before I started working at audience ops, but I got to know you very well because I did internet stock you like it was my job after I applied. So uh, like the whole productized service and everything like that was... I feel like a, a like a large chunk of my email list is just people who've applied for the writing job at Audience Ops. Right, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I don't know if yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I internet stalked you like really, I did a high quality job like of internet stalking you after I applied. But so I got, you know, familiar with the whole productized service, which was not really anything I had ever even given any thought to. So you know, that's been really helpful to me as I kind of advance in my own freelance career and figure out what I want to do next, kind of the same lines of what Raj was saying, thinking about different ways I could 
automate or streamline aspects of my business that take me a lot of time, but maybe don't have the value add that I'm hoping for. Um, other valuable lessons I've extracted from my time with audience ops would probably tie back to what we talked about before in focusing on what you do best. I'm a freelance writer by trade. And when I came to audience ops, I was pretty unfocused. I wrote about everything from like storage units to cat litter. (laughs) Like I was just all over the map and audience ops kind of taught me the value and really identifying who your ideal customer, who your target customer is and focusing on that. So I've really kind of been able to carve out more of a space for myself where I've been able to establish myself as more of like an expert in the things that I'm interested in doing. Um, And I think another big thing that I've learned and probably part of the reason that Brian and I are able to work so well together is I think we have probably very different approaches (laughs) to the way that we do things and that Brian, you move much faster than I do. Not to say I'm not efficient, but you're always kind of diving in head first. Like, let's just do it. We'll see how it goes. We'll work out the process as we go. Whereas I'm, if you look up type A in the dictionary, like my smiling face is there waiting for you. So I'm much more like, no, we need to get all the details ironed out beforehand. Like we need to consider every possible scenario and make sure that we're prepared to take care of anything that might come our way. So I think I've really been able to kind of step back and I don't want to say take more risks, but be able to realize that there really isn't that much you can do that can't be undone or fixed, which I think has been really valuable for me. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't really thought about it that way. But you know, one thing that I like today, I'm constantly, I guess, working on, but uh, I still get a lot of emails in my inbox from folks on the team. And now there are more people on the team sending more emails to my inbox. And so, you know, it's something that I'm kind of working on and like trying to reduce the dependence on me. And there is a lot of things that happen automatically without my input, which I'm really, really proud of the team and systems that we have in place. But, you know, there's still those situations where like, you know, people on the team don't know how to move forward unless they kind of confirm something or figure out the right response. My approach to that has always just been like, how can I get people moving faster? Like, Give people what they need so that the bottleneck is not me and something waiting in my inbox for me to get to it today. And like sometimes whether this works or not, it's up for debate. But like I try to, if somebody sends a question to me, I try to respond with, okay, you know, you could do this right now. And then if this happens, then do that. And if this happens, then do that. That way it's self-manageable from there. It's not a perfect solution yet, but yeah, just trying to like kind of remove those barriers. So... Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know we've gone a bit over time here, but yeah, it's been awesome to kind of catch up with you guys and technically like outside of audience ops and talk about this stuff. And uh, just excited to keep at it with you guys in the Slack room and hanging out with the team and doing awesome work. It's been been great. Been awesome. Yeah. We're going to link up both of your sites and Twitter accounts. So maybe our listeners can start to uh, internet stalk both of you. (laughs) And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for doing it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. All right. Take care. All right. Was that good? Let me know what you thought of this one. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you recently. You're not getting my emails? Okay, then head over to my site, castjam.com. You can join my newsletter there. You'll get my best stuff about entrepreneurship, productizing, and more. Also, a five-star review in iTunes is always appreciated. That'll help others like us come find these episodes. All right, until next time, we get back to working on the business. Later. Later.